0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four K E Y S that's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: We're all here to connect with people, man. It's at
0: the top of our
1: list. Like, you know, human being human is about connecting and then, you know, th- what that means. I think the problem is tying to what you said is what we s- place the value on that connection. And so I think for a lot of men that are young that have been fed to the world, the value comes from how attractive the person is that, that you're dating, mm. right? Um, and the problem is, biologically, uh, from, from my research, like it seems like that needs to be true, right? For most men, they need to be physically attracted on some level to their partner. I think the problem is, it should stop there. That should be your initial switch and say, cool, am I physically attracted to this person enough to want to be intimate with them, to be close, all that. Great. Then start looking as well at the bigger picture besides just, you know, what's on the outside, right? Like how, how you have your time together. Do you get along? Do you share values? And so I'm not against people wanting healthier connection, I like more connections for happiness, because I think that is a huge piece. Mm-hmm. It's just about what constitutes a healthy, happy connection, for a lot of young men and even men into their 30s, it's like, great. Most importantly, is it a hot person? <laughs> right. um, uh, and then they don't often challenge themselves much further than that. Yeah. And then for women, it's the same way. It's often, how does this person make me feel? And a lot of times they choose partners who, you know, they feel great around, they feel excited, aroused, um, you know, adventurous, they laugh, they have a great sense of humor and then that stops there, and again, it's not. It doesn't progress towards always like, well, am I getting the respect that I deserve? Um, are they communicative? Are they fair to me? Do they encourage my independence?
0: I'm Srini Rao and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so I actually know about your work because I am one of your clients, and we will actually get to what your work is about, but before we get there, um, I want to start by asking you what social group were you a part of in high school, and what impact did that end up having on your life and your work?
1: Yeah, so I was kind of the kid that hung out with everybody, Uh, so I grew up in town called Randolph, Massachusetts. And it was, I think at the time, statistically, the most diverse town in New England. Um, So it was a lot of cliques, a lot of groups, some people huddled together. And I found myself growing up through elementary, middle and high school, just kind of hanging out with people of all groups. Um, So I was pretty accepting in that regard. And I think that kind of gave me a well-rounded perspective on just all sorts of people, their problems, different backgrounds, different upbringings, going to their house and being in different communities and cultures. Um, so I think it really kind of opened my, my perspective. Um, and maybe I didn't realize, you know, now looking back, how many people deal with, you know, racism and all that stuff, because that just never was a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of been a shock over the last 10 years to see that and see things changing um, when it just was like totally normal to hang out with anybody and everybody back then.
0: Hmm. Um, what of any cultural perspectives did you gain from that, you know, sort of experience of of such diversity that, um, has played a role in your work today? Like, what did you learn about other cultures and other people?
1: I think the biggest thing I learned is, you know, we're all people, right? I think that sounds so cliche, but Sure. That's what it was. Is like it's you know when you don't understand something, it feels foreign. It feels different, uh, and there's a lot of unknowns there. But then you go to somebody's house, and they just make you dinner, and they make you a different dinner, and they have their own little traditions for food and for spending time together. And you start to draw parallels uh, to your own life, and pretty soon, I think what that does most of all is just again make you feel related to everybody, make make you feel connected and human. Uh-huh. uh, in that regard. And so, yeah, I think that was the biggest change.
0: So you grew up around all these other cultures, but I also know from, you know, kind of knowing you personally that you're of Greek descent and, I, and I'm curious, um, you know, what impact, uh, your own culture had, uh, on uh, your upbringing and, and the choices that you've made with your life and your career and and kind of your whole sort of worldview.
1: Yeah. So being Greek, what's funny is, especially, I mean, tying to my work, sexuality is, is a lot less intense over there. It's a lot more accepted, a lot more colorful, a lot more expressed. So growing up in a household or going over to Greece and seeing, you know, nudity on TV, uh, having my parents watch movies that were quote unquote more adult and had scenes like that, not bad. And I, uh, kind of destigmatized a lot of human sexuality in that regard, which I think in American culture at times, it's a little bit more restricted. Uh-huh. Um, so that really kind of just, uh, you know, I felt like I had a healthy view on non-sexuality and relationships. Uh, similar to that, there's a lot more acceptance in, in you know, allowing children to try things and, and be more personally responsible. So something like alcohol a little bit at a, at a family celebration was like totally normal. And I think that allowed me to, you know, get a respect for, let's say, drinking, that sometimes I had friends who had never tasted alcohol, their parents were super against it, um, and then they went off to college, and they just binge drinked and went out of control, I had a lot of those experiences, and I felt like I had a respect for them, and so it wasn't something taboo, just like sexuality, um, and that's probably been one of the biggest impacts on, like, just... Being vulnerable in life and, and allowing, you know, not sheltering your children. I mean, you can't obviously not saying go throw them to the worst sides of the Internet, mm. um, but allowing them to kind of express themselves, explore themselves, see the the more touchy sides of life um, creates a maturity around it. Mm.
0: Well, let's do this. walk me through uh, sort of the trajectory of how you arrived at doing this work, because I know that it, it, you know, the funny thing is the work that you do, I don't think is something that you open up, you know, a career guide and say, okay, yeah, that's what I'm going to do with my life.
1: No, not at all. (laughs) Uh, Well, tying into, you know, the kind of the understanding sexuality and relationships, I think that fostered um, feelings of, of feeling just connected to that as work. So in the back of my head growing up, I always felt like, cool, I'm, I want to do something psychology-related and specifically in interpersonal relationships. Uh, but then I went to do computer science. So that was the exact opposite uh, of basically the field I'm in now. And so organically, what happened was I was about 19 years old. I was in college, uh, and everything in my life started, quote-unquote, falling apart. Uh, most of my friends had moved out of state. So I lost my social circle for myself. um, I had a girlfriend at the time who left me during our two year anniversary. And then uh, my dad who had a restaurant to kind of support our family ended up getting really sick, having two heart attacks um, and basically couldn't uh, maintain the business and support us. So in a very, very short window uh, I was forced to kind of be alone and, and eventually had to make the decision of, you know, somebody has to step up and support my family. So uh, I, I dropped out of school to work and support my family. And, you know, it, it immediately, I think, you know, I went through a period of depression uh, while kind of trying to, to support everything. And eventually, as I started to just move forward, get a job, slightly pull out of that, I think I stumbled upon, you know, some dating advice online, probably pick up advice. I mean, definitely pick up advice back then. And, uh, you know, said, well, listen, I want to get my life in gear. I want to be able to meet people. Um, The only time I would ever done that before in my life was through, you know, friend circles and social circles. And even then it was scattered. So seeing this kind of this idea that you could go out and and take control of your life and meet people and specifically as a 19 year old attract and bed, quote unquote, really hot women, um, was like the greatest idea in the world to me. Um, so moving forward there, I said, cool, I'm skeptical, but I'm going to try some of this stuff out. And so let's say for the next two years or year and a half, I went out all the time, uh, four or five times a week to meet people really pushing myself in that first year 18 months I got pretty good at it quote unquote I was I was making a lot of new friends I was dating around Um, and so people started taking notice that I was friends with and even other coaching companies and I had one of my best friends at the time that was still there um, come to me and basically say hey listen this is pretty awesome what you're doing Uh, do you think you'd be able to teach me and so at that moment, it was kind of a light bulb, like, well, I, I love what I'm doing here. It seems to be legit. Um, if I could do this and, and survive and still support my family, I really couldn't imagine anything else uh, better. Something that I could actually contribute that I don't think a lot of people were doing at the time. There was a lot of relationship counselors and all that, mm-hmm. but not people helping, especially young, smart men uh, go out and, and meet people. And so, um, started talking to some coaching companies, uh, pick up dating coaching companies, got involved with them for my next few years. Uh, and then eventually realized, you know, this is not healthy. Um, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people in the industry were pretty miserable. Um, many of the people I knew couldn't get a date, get women, couldn't keep them. Uh, they didn't have like a more organic social life all around, which was awkward. And so I thought, you know, and, and also it was for myself, to be honest. Um, I had felt like I lost a lot of myself by that time, you know, doing quote unquote pickup for years and, and, you know, memorizing lines and trying all these fake, you know, ways to present yourself really made me feel disingenuous. Uh, It made me kind of loathe myself deep down. And so I realized for myself as well, you know, I need to change something about this. Um, And there's a lot of cool ideas about presentation, about being a leader, being more confident that I think are valuable. But I think there's a much healthier, more authentic way to do this and, and tied into actual research psychology. So then eventually, I decided to leave the pickup industry uh start my own coaching company, and then been just lucky enough to have it grow and be still doing it years later. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Okay. So, tons of questions uh, come from this, as you might imagine. Um, One of the things that's interesting to me is that uh, you grew up with a relatively healthy and and normal view on sexuality and relationships. So, I'm I'm curious, you know, why gravitate towards this uh, in the first place, given that that was the case? Because in my experience, and, and, you know, I – personally have delved into this entire world which we will talk about Um, you know something I thought I'd never want to admit publicly and I spent you know four years like going to workshops and being part of the community only to come out realizing I hated every bit of it like like you said I I was like this is not a normal way to live like these people I feel like I'm part of a cult and one that I'm a hell of a to be of uh, be a part of but um, I'm really curious like if you grew up with a view of, of sexuality that wasn't stigmatized the way a lot of people are what in the world would cause you to gravitate towards this
1: yeah so i guess i should clarify i did have a healthy view in a lot of ways but i think i had less of a healthy view on maybe my own self-esteem and self-confidence tied to it Mm -hmm. so i didn't have as much deep-seated sexual shame in a lot of ways but i did feel like my value because i was so interested in it um and partly, to be honest, um after my parents split when I was really young, my dad kind of uh he was a great dad, but he worked twelve hours, fourteen hours a day, seven days a week, and then my mom was kind of she was young and making mistakes in her life um and so while I did have a healthy view on sexuality, I didn't have necessarily parents that were always around mm-hmm. and giving me the guidance in it and saying. You know, you should be thinking about more than that, or or giving me a healthier view on growing as a person. So when you know, my dad got sick, and all my friends moved away, and I got dumped by this girl that I thought at the time was going to be my future. Um, I think I based my entire worth on that, and and my worth on being liked by people, and and being validated by someone that finds you interesting and attractive. So while I felt like sex was okay and I could express it a lot of times, I also at the same time felt like it meant everything to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason why I got into it was basically um, to feel like not a loser at the time.
0: Yeah. So uh, that raises a question of, you know, why is it that, you know, I, I don't think what you're, you know, what you were feeling is is uncommon for many men in our culture, and, and I'm curious why that's the narrative of our culture, and and more importantly, how you started to unwind it, um, because I, I think that for most of us, our self worth issues, whether we're men or women, are largely the result of our desire to be liked by other people, and, and I'm curious how you start to unwind this narrative of. I only have, you know, worth in the world if, you know, this person, uh, you know, finds me attractive or wants to have sex with me. Like, how did you unwind it?
1: Yeah, I think the way that I mean, the short answer of it, in, in a word is to start actually loving who you are, right? And what else you have to offer the world and, and what else you could find fulfilling. Yeah. Um, if your primary focus is great, let me go out for the the sole purpose of meeting people and for the sole purpose of of getting laid, it's going to be hard to unwind that or or feel differently. But I think if you can hold yourself accountable to say, well, within those experiences, can I ensure that I am being honest with myself, that I am respecting my values, that I'm exploring my values, um, that uh, I can also just be honest of, 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 experimenting other sides of life and investing in myself and investing in, in my growth as a person. Um, so, so the more that you show up within those experiences and then also find ways to grow and respect yourself and be more authentic in the bigger picture, the less inclined you feel, I think to, to, to tie your value to it. Right. Because if I start focusing on, on great friendships, or I say, I want to get healthy, um, to feel better about myself, to play more sports and you get involved in that. And then you get references that are like, wow, this is really rewarding to me. I feel happier. I feel more passionate. I feel more alive. Then I just think subconsciously your brain is like, cool. There's a lot more to life than just (laughs) being liked by somebody. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really taking care of yourself. Self-care is probably the biggest answer.
0: Mm -hmm. So there's a a piece on your about page that I kind of want to read this and, and, you know, have you dissect it for us, because I think the the identity shift is, is so drastic. You know, every day I pretended to be some bullshit version of myself. No one knew the real me. I didn't even know who the real me was anymore. Every woman I met liked the false persona I presented. They didn't like or care about Nick because he was so buried. They never had a chance. Every connection I had was shallow. They were hollow. They weren't even connections because all I cared about was the next conquest and being seen as desirable. Um, that really struck me because, you know, um, I, you know, obviously for me to to want to work with you, if that had been, you, know, you I don't think we would be working together because my values would have been completely out of alignment with that. Um, and I think I would have sure. found it hard to relate to you. Um, And I'm curious about, uh, you know, shedding one identity and, 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 you know, making such a radical identity shift when especially when it had been part of your life for such a long time, because I I think that um, one of the things personally that I I think I I struggled with. And I think maybe even to to this day, I I still do to some extent is how much sort of bad programming came from the four years of being part of this community and how many unhealthy views um, were the result of it. Like I, I had friends who said, you know, it was about a year or two after I walked away, we were finally able to start feeling fucking normal again and having normal conversations with people. <laughs> um, you know, friends who went to therapy to fix all this and finally met their, you know, wives and husbands. And they're like, you know, if we had actually behaved that way, we would have blown every opportunity we had.
1: Sure. Um, so uh, let me restate. The question is how do, how do you make this transformation? Yeah. Such yeah, a, such a large a- transformation within this.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. I think it's genuinely a combination of things. Um, One, like I said, realizing the bigger picture of of starting to see, you know, just how much more there is to life and how much more excitement and value you can get. And I think it's hard to experience those things until you experience them or to feel those things until you experience them. So I think trying to hold yourself accountable to balance um, starts to give you a new perspective, I think a lot of um, rejection and failure in, in many ways, if you can have a healthier outlook from it really shapes and, set, and and you know, you have two ways to come out from it. One saying this, you know, I need to keep getting better at this and I need to, to keep, you know, getting more attractive to women. Uh, or you can say, Hey, this is in one way, normal and healthy. And it's not a reflection of who I am. And then, you know, a lot of it comes with a reflection, uh, and, and just really challenging, you know, yourself to get back up and say, great, this happened. This is just one temporary experience, but I don't think it means everything for me.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and maybe the better answer is, uh, actually starting to give a shit about having more meaningful connections. And and that's been maybe a hard one for me to express. So, so basically you have to get to a point where you're like, you want more than the transaction and not saying like people just only want the transaction of like, great, someone likes me. I'm I'm getting intimacy and all that. But I mean, people want a little bit more, but you really have to want more Mm -hmm. in all regards. And you have to start pushing for more. You have to say, I want people to see me. I want to know who they are. I want them to want to respect who I am and for me to respect them and, and to open up and get to grow to each other. I want to have more meaningful experiences together. I want, even if this connection was casual, for both of us to be genuinely happy when it's over. I want more friendships. Um, so it's a little bit of, uh, I think, trials and tribulations, getting through that experience, reflecting, and then challenging yourself. You know, being conscious of saying, "What's what's the real connection here?" and exploring that. And the more that, like, basically, let me put it this way. I have an interesting short story. I had a client who uh, went out and approached something like 800 women in a very few months and thinking that was going to make him happy. And he basically had very little connections, um, left that still feeling like I'm worthless and this is what I need to do to make me happy. We had a conversation and I was like, you know, I want you to stop worrying about what you're going to say next and, and what's the next thing and whatever. And the only time I want you to talk to somebody next is when you see something that actually excites you about them, that you're you're really curious about or, or something they're doing that you have an opinion on. I only want you to engage somebody right now when it, when it, when there's something that actually connects to you inside. And so coincidentally, Uh, he went into a bookstore one day and saw this girl reading some dating pickup book. It might even been Neil Strauss's book, (laughs) um, which is really funny, um, that the world works like that. But he said that was the first moment out of like introducing himself to 800 people where he saw that and he's like, wow, girls reading that. That's so cool. I want to know why she's reading it. And it came from a place of genuine connection and wanting to just, you know, see who they are and explore that rather than trying to get something out of it. And so he went in there, super enthusiastic, curious about it. They talked for 20 minutes about interpersonal relationships, whatever. Um, And they ended up dating for a good while. And that was the, you know, the first time out of 800 times where there wasn't an objective outside of to just connect and see if there's something there, a connection both ways. Mm -hmm. And, Whenever that happens, he said, basically, you screwed me, man. Uh, You opened Pandora's box, right? Like, now that I've felt what it's like to be truly present and truly want to just, you know, explore someone for more than just my gratification or approval, um, I can't stop thinking about that. I can't stop thinking about how that feels. And it's really shifting my belief to, do I just really want to get laid or do I want something more here along with that? And so just giving people a couple of experiences where they are only there to connect and explore with somebody and for the first time not to get something for themselves, approval, validation, love, that really switches a lot of people on a deeper level.
0: Wow. Um. You know, th- this raises and numerous other questions you might imagine. Um, you know, you've talked about rejection and, and failure, and I know that you've written about rejection and, and you know, um, it, it's funny because even in our own work together, I've never asked you about, you know, how many countless rejections you've had or, or how many situations you've failed uh-huh. in. Um, and I, the question, and I, I'd been thinking about this, knowing that we were going to have this conversation was, you know, how in spite of the rejections, the failures, you know, you know the, the really dark period in your life. Um, did you, you know, I mean, men or women, regardless of whether they're listening, are going to encounter failure or rejection of some sort, right? Whether it's from a job, whether it's from a romantic partner or a potential romantic partner. And I think the, the biggest sort of thing that, you know, I know that you've really kind of worked with me on is not seeing this as a reflection of, of my own value in the world. And, and, and I'm curious um, how, you know, having had that many rejections, how did you, how did you not see it? Uh, how did you get to the point where you stopped seeing that as a reflection of your worth? I guess, is really the question.
1: Yeah, so like with any emotion or, you know, like we have anxiety or fear, I think if you just try to ignore it and say something, you know, don't feel this or whatever, it's it's super hard to, to change your mind about it. And I think replacing that with a healthier thought process or pattern or action starts to, to change, you know, the default response. And so, I think within that it's it's gonna suck man nobody likes to have an awkward moment and have somebody say hey I don't find you interesting in this way or attractive in this way there's no way to cut it I think to not let it get over your your worth is to say first okay after I process that what could I learn from this if anything what what could I improve upon um, you know what could I try for next time that might you know uh, be more engaging. And and when you start to think about what you could improve on, if, if anything, then you have something to look forward to and try. And then it starts a pattern where you're like, cool, you know, well, this sucks, but what, what else could I do or how else could I take more action? Mm-hmm. You slowly start to do that. And you also realize, great, like when you have better experiences as well, um, you know, my previous experiences were just, you know, sometimes my behavior is not who I am, and I can always change that. Um, they're just temporary. New people, you know, not saying you should again base your worth on it, but, you know, I can have experiences that are completely different and with people that will engage me. Um, and then that starts to tell you it's just compatibility, man. Like you're never going to be compatible with everyone, and that's every single person in this world, but you'll be compatible with plenty. You know, if you, can't think of the silver lining and think of new ideas to try and to motivate yourself to move forward. And then what tends to happen is you get rejected a couple times. Mm -hmm. You think it's the worst of the world. You only think about the bad. You don't try again for a long time. Nothing changes and you prove yourself. Great. I am rejected because it's me. Nobody will want me. And this is the way it's going to be. But if you can slowly start to say, cool, what can I learn from this? How could I grow? How could I take another shot? Could try And then you start shaping your reality with experiences that are completely different. I think it gives you that that honest perspective. Um, You know, it just it it really shows it's hard to hold on to beliefs when your experiences are saying otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it's hard to have those beliefs without experience.
0: Right, right. You know, the other thing that, um, really struck me is, is, you know, uh, why is it that so many people, particularly men think that this is going to make them happier? Like, you know, Hey, having, you know, the ability to, to sleep with hot women, uh, is going to make me a happier person. And why did so many people base their self-worth on it? Like, why do we do that? Because
1: it feels amazing. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm sure that's a big part of it. Sure. Uh, it's everywhere, dude. I mean, if you really think about it. In almost every facet of life, we're told that's what's going to make us happy. It's in every movie, it's in advertisements, it's in uh, it's in your parents' upbringing, saying you need to find somebody, you need to get married. Uh, it is what we look up to, and people with status. Oh my God, they got you know arm candy, and they got this beautiful person. I just think we have a million different stimuli saying this is what matters. Um, and, and then you have your friends. I mean, you grew up with guys that gloat about it when you're young and nobody talks about their failures or their loneliness. And they talk about, you know, and then you see your friends with, you know, a girl that you might find attractive and they're talking about how great it is. So you just basically have one perspective of the world telling you, this is, this is the top, right? This is everything. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I would hope that's what I'm trying to hope is, is we have a more honest dialogue about everything revolving around this and what matters in life. And um, I'll just tell you a quick story. You know, I haven't written an article about this, but I went to a funeral of someone that I know very close and, you know, he was super charismatic, super awesome um, and all that. But when people got up there and it was like a three hour service and were crying what people genuinely remembered and what mattered was like who he was as a person, everything he did, the moments that he shared with them, the moments he was there. Um, and you know, just, you know, sitting in a room and hearing somebody talk about somebody posthumously, when people even reflect on their own lives when they're dying, like you really see what matters, man. And what people think matters, um, as opposed to what the world tells you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think the second part of your question was, um, how do we start to shift that narrative?
0: Yeah, and and I guess, you know, you kind of answered why people base their worth on this, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, shifting that narrative is is probably something really important.
1: Yeah, um, again, I think it touches a little, or like, I don't know, I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I think it's... Getting a wide variety, like balancing your life, getting a wide variety of experience, you know, having genuine friendships, having hobbies that make you fulfilled, uh, spending more time with people you care about. Uh, the more that you start to do things outside of that scope and find a way to be held accountable to balance your life, uh-huh. you start to realize that there's so much value within this world otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know?
2: Savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9 dollars each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
0: This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. So there's one you know thing that that has always been a sort of interesting to me, like that, that I've been thinking about it, and I, I've never asked you this question in our calls, but um, you, you know if you look at a lot of the research done around happiness, right, like the happiness advantage or stuff that people like Sean Acor have done, they say you know our social relationships um, are one of the greatest predictors of our happiness. Um, And that's such a a bizarre paradox, right? Is that you, you don't like, I've always wondered, it's like, okay, we don't want to be dependent on somebody else for our happiness. And yet, you know, social science shows us that our relationships are one of the greatest predictors. And I'm just curious what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're at as parallel as much as we think. Um, We're all here to connect with people, man. It's at the top of our list. Like, you know, human being human is about connecting and and you know th- what that means i think the problem is tying to what you said is what we s- place the value on that connection and so i think for a lot of men that are young that have been fed to the world the value comes from how attractive the person is that, that you're dating mm-hmm. right um and the problem is biologically uh, from from my research like it seems like that needs to be true, right for most men, they need to be physically attracted on some level to their partner. I think the problem is it should stop there. That should be your initial switch and say, "Cool, am I physically attracted to this person enough to want to be intimate with them to be close? all that great, then start looking as well at the bigger picture besides just you know what's on the outside right like how how you have your time together, do you get along? do you share values and so I'm not against people wanting healthier connection, uh, like more connections for happiness, because I think that is a huge piece. Mm-hmm. It's just about what constitutes a healthy, happy connection. And for a lot of young men and even men into their 30s, it's like, great. Most importantly, is it a hot person? <laughs> right. um, uh, and then they don't often challenge themselves much further than that. Yeah. And then for women, it's the same way. It's often, how does this person make me feel? And a lot of times they choose partners who, you know, they feel great around, they feel excited, aroused, um, you know, adventurous, they laugh, they have a great sense of humor. And then that stops there. And again, it's not, it it doesn't progress towards always like, well, am I getting the respect that I deserve? Um, Are they communicative? Are they fair to me? Do they encourage my independence? So yeah, I don't think there's a problem in wanting connections for your happiness because it is a essential part. It's just about what realizing what will bring you long-term happiness on there. And then the second part of that is realizing that connections to humans also means a connection to yourself. So if you only have one or the other, if like you just are, you know, want to be with yourself and are happy all the time, but you don't interact with the world, you often tend to feel pretty isolated. If all you're doing is chasing tail and they're hot people, but then you also don't feel well connected to yourself. You don't love yourself. Then inherently, I think you're going to place your worth on those. So yeah, it's about connecting for the right reasons with others, but then also making sure that you have a strong connection to yourself.
0: Uh So one thing that I know that I've I've never asked you about is you're married, right? Yep. Um, How did you meet your wife? And one, what does she (laughs) think about the work that you do? And two, what do you want women to know about the work that you do? Given that a lot of the people listening are women.
1: Yeah, so I actually met my woman how I preach. Um, We were out out with a friend in Boston on a night. Uh, I was at a bar. She was at her out with her two friends celebrating, and yeah, I just saw her and thought she looked absolutely beautiful. And she had a really cool kind of you know creative artistic style. She had like a leather jacket and a couple studs in her ears, and um, just you know had the courage to go up, say hello, introduce myself. Um, and so, yeah, pretty organically in person. I I mean, I gotta be honest, looking back on it, if you had told me where would I meet my long-term partner, I would have (laughs) not pegged that as number one by any means, but I'm not complaining. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, what, what a lot of women have to understand is that I think the majority of men trying to learn about improving themselves, and especially in a dating aspect, deep down are doing it for healthy reasons. Even if all the time they can't see it on the surface. Like I think there's a misconception that men want to learn this to deceive people all the time, to somehow manipulate people, to convince somebody who doesn't want to be interested to be interested in them, um, to be disingenuous. And there's definitely a subset of people like that, and there's definitely a subset of teachings about that. Um, I'm skewed because, you know, I cater towards people who, who have similar values, like you said, yourself. And so most of the guys are coming in saying, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, you know, most of the guys have the rest of their life handled. You know, I've got a great career. I've got sometimes good friends. uh, My health is pretty intact, but for some reason, I just can't figure this side of my life out. And and I really want to be able to present my best self. They're often, I think, another thing a lot of women don't realize is like they're a lot more concerned about women's boundaries than they believe. You know, I think when I tell women, you know, I'm a dating coach, sometimes it's like, oh, so you're teaching guys to pick up girls, and it's like the opposite. I'm I'm mostly convincing guys that it's okay to show your interest in women in in a healthy way, Uh right? They're not coming in like, hey, Nick, how do I, you know, really want, you know, say something super sexy to just get this girl to throw herself at me. Most of them have struggled with this because they're worried about being too forward. They're worried about showing the wrong kinds of interest. They don't want to upset anyone. Um, they want to introduce themselves in a way that isn't that doesn't feel predatory or "quote unquote" creepy. Yeah. So the big idea is like I think a lot of women think that there's malicious intent behind a lot of this, and really it's a lot of fear and inexperience and anxiety and worry about the other person which is preventing them from this and needing it in the first place. And I'll say one other thing. There's a, there's a big misconception that the people who are doing this, even other men uh-huh. are somehow like, you know, broken or weird. Right. Like yeah. it's like, Oh, who needs to come to this. But it's like, nobody teaches you this stuff in school. Right. Like nobody's teaching you how to, you know, communicate in a way that's engaging all the time or, or to show off yourself in a more attractive way or to, the understanding, the the ideas behind courtship, and so most of the people that do come to me, I've taken are just are awesome, man. Like they're super successful in their life, and they've got you know a steady income, they've got great friends. Like I said, it's just really this is you know everything else in life has a logical pattern. Uh-huh. It's easy to think through it, and humans are emotional creatures, and so when you're adding emotional intelligence into the equation
0: that's really the, the struggle you know yeah yeah i mean you kind of answered what my next question would be is is you know what misperceptions do you think that people have about the types of of, of people that that come to your work but you know um it, it yeah you kind of more or less answered that um <clears throat> i'm curious uh one you know it's funny like nobody would nobody would feel weird about saying hey i hired a coach to help me you know improve my jump shot or hey i hired a coach to help increase the revenue of my business yet when it comes to something like this um one people are reluctant to admit that they need help I think in a lot of cases, I I think, you know, it, uh, you know, for me to like, I I had avoided it at all costs because I didn't want to have to go through what I had, you know, several years ago when I was younger, I was like, do I really want to go through that whole experience again of just spending my life absorbed in this and nothing else? Um, Sure. But but I'm curious, you know, why is it that, you know, we can, we're okay. Why do you think it is that we have this narrative that, hey, you know, it's okay for us to hire coaches to, you know, help with our sports or our business. But when it comes to the idea that, hey, I need a coach for improving my social skills, um, we have such a, a sort of weird feeling about it, like a stigma associated with it. Because I remember, even you know, when I wrote that that piece uh, on Medium, you said, "Wow, I didn't know that you were going to publicly admit that you know you had hired me."
1: Yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked, man. Um, just because, like you said, I you know I've worked with people for years, and they, they believe in my work, and they love it, and they've grown from it, and they have healthy connections, and they're still terrified of telling anybody that they've ever done anything. Um, to improve themselves in this regard and really i think it comes back to you know whereas men told that like your value is like can you attract women and and specifically attractive women um, throughout time throughout thousands of years that's been like a huge indicator of status and power um your friends you know people judge you for it uh all these things and so to admit that you need help in this regard is to admit you failed as a man for a lot of people in their head, right? It's, you know, I am somehow failed as my responsibility as a man. I'm inferior. I am unattractive because of it. Uh, And this is something I should be ashamed of because supposedly I should be able to do this. And so I think really it comes from the stigma of like, again, I, I must be worthless or I must be some kind of loser To have to do this and nothing could be farther from the truth. I mean, and, and worried that, you know, if that ties to this is unnatural that I need this, then when other people find out, and especially women, they're going to think that, you know, I am strange and I am different and I am, you know, not, you know, regular guy in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, I think it's a lot of shame and insecurity around it. Um, I don't know of any, almost any other field that you could say, hey, I I get coaching for this. And then people have, you know, any hesitation about expressing. And it's actually been a huge part of my business. You know, most of my business is is super organic. People find out about me. They read my stuff. But even getting personal referrals and and people to share out is extremely difficult because that requires you to tell somebody who knows you, hey, I, I needed this help.
0: Yeah. Um, well, now so about yeah. 10,000 people are about to found out, find out <laughs> I did. Um, interesting. So um, I want to get to another part of our conversation, which I know you and I had, had sort of alluded to via email. And this is something that's interesting to me uh, in particular, because, you know, you know, we have what you said, you know, men are, are concerned with expressing interest. And now to add to all of this, we have this cultural epidemic of sexual assault that is happening left and right. Right. Um, and one, you know, I'm curious what your perspective is on all of it. Um, I, I'm guessing you probably saw the the latest thing of, about Aziz Ansari's bad date. Oh, yeah. Because I, I think that now, you know, suddenly the very issues that you're, you know, trying to help men deal with are becoming, you know, more and more prevalent. Like suddenly you're kind of like, wow, okay, where's the line? And holy shit, like the last thing I want is to be accused of sexual assault.
1: Yeah man, it's getting it's it's getting real tense. I mean, I tell you at least half the people that are coming to me, that's like the one of the first things they're talking about when I'm when I'm getting to know them. Hey, listen, you know, I'm really scared of 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 you know, pushing too far, being labeled a predator or a creep. Um, and just year after year I've seen it to grow to be a concern. So, okay, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Um, to start, I am super happy that this movement has even started. I think it was much needed, way overdue, um, because whether people believe it or not, you know, there's, there's so many people saying, well, you know, why didn't they go through the proper channels and why is everybody making a big stink of it out loud? And it's like, well, a lot of people did go through the, the right channels. A lot of people went to police. A lot of people reported these things and just they were ignored for a long time. So in terms of the overall idea behind the movement of getting awareness and, and helping people see how real this is as a problem, super awesome. I just think at times we're going about it the wrong ways. We're, we're coming from a lot of misunderstanding. Um, and and the lines are being pushed so far because people are so worried about it not happening. Now, sometimes we go to other extremes, right? There's a movement and we want to fix a problem and we go to a complete opposite end for a solution. And sometimes we need to scale back and say, okay, there's, there's a nice meeting place in the middle. Um, so, you know, in terms of, I, I think what's wrong to start what what's hard is the misunderstandings. Um, I think if you're trying to make policy, when you don't understand both sides of the equation, then the, the answer comes out, you know, muddled. And so, like i said i think a lot of men misunderstand how prevalent it is mm-hmm. um how how impactful it is when something like sexual assault happens or rape happens um or, or just sexual harassment um i think there's a lot of also misunderstanding from the men's side that if they show any sort of interest they're automatically in that camp and that you know you know, if they push, put themselves out there or take initiative, then they're going to be labeled as one of those people. And then from the other side of things, and and, and they also don't realize why women choose the partners they do. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of men are resentful and say, you know, oh, I'm really polite and, and all these things, but I don't seem to have when I'm attracted to me. And you have to realize there's a level of intimacy and attraction um, that, that is an emotional response that, you know, women aren't saying, you know, Oh, I don't want to like this person because of X reason. It's just you don't feel it at times, and so it's not like there's malicious intent from a, a woman's side when she's not interested in you. Um, sometimes it's incompatibility. Sometimes you could be presenting yourself or doing the things that would help facilitate that kind of connection. And then I think from the women's side, um, a lot of it is 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 again thinking because when when you're thinking about a person approaching you or showing you interest, we often go to our worst case scenarios, stories we've heard stories, we felt things we've experienced. And then it's easy to say like, well, that's how it's going to be. Or that's how a lot of men think. And they think, you know, a lot of guys are just when they're, when they're showing interest or or being forward, it's with the wrong intent. It's with only to get into their pants. Um, and so there's a defensiveness and worst case scenario situation in a lot of women's heads that I don't think is the norm. And so you have two sides of the equation, both misunderstanding each other's intentions and misunderstanding the problems we face, misunderstanding the reason why we do the things we do. And I think in a lot of ways, the extreme sides of both, um, I'll say the, uh, what is it, the red pill male movement mm-hmm. um, and, and the extreme sides of feminism are really hurting the conversation that needs to be had and creating a lot of resent, a lot of animosity and a lot of fear. Like for me, what what's really scary right now is um, I think there's a lot of young boys and girls who are learning like, well, you can't talk to a girl or show her interest because that's wrong and you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And I think there's a lot of women that are saying, you know, be cautious of all these guys because they only have one thing on their mind or or there's a good chance that something bad is going to happen and that's like the biggest fear for me is like great we're having a conversation about shit that needs to happen but we're sometimes having a lot of misunderstanding we're we're speaking in emotions all the time instead of logic and trying to rationalize things and look at data um and then we're not trying to come to a mutual understanding a lot of times it's like well the solution is like You know, I need to do whatever I can to like, you know, protect myself. Um, So, yeah, there's, you know, and I think where that leads to um, just wrapping this idea up is, is we need to understand we need what I call a new protocol. Um, The answer to say, like, nobody can ever go talk to somebody or show interest in somebody Um, without ever realizing that the other person's interested back, I'm not saying anything that would constitute as legal sexual assault or, or anything, but just like going up to someone and introducing yourself to a stranger or telling them that you like them and want to grab a drink. Um, that has to find, we have to find a way to be able to have people to initiate, whether it's male to women, you know, male to female or vice versa, because if you take that away, um, a lot of courtship and romance doesn't work. Like we know what tends to attract people and what turns people on and what gets people together. And if you take away initiative, leadership, showing interest at at any regard, and and then you're always waiting passively, then a lot of interest is never built. I mean, there's been guys for 10, 20 years that I've talked that. I know like, you know, I've talked to them for 10 years, but they've been doing it 20 years where they're super nice, super polite. Don't ever show interest. Always are waiting. Always a friend. And they've struggled for 10 years. And that's what a lot of the extreme sides of the movement say. This is the solution. You know, don't ever show interest in anybody. Well, then nobody's going to get together, (laughs) you know. Um, And so what we need to do is say we need to draw a line and understand, um, you know, a lot of things. One, men need to be really understanding of how touchy it can be. So when they do show some, you know, they have to learn how to show interest in a polite way. Um, Respectfully, obviously not doing anything overboard. And then they have to be conscious of actual verbal signals. And and even sometimes when it's unclear nonverbal to be cautious and speak up and say, hey, listen, you know, no problem. Understand boundaries. Hey, is everything okay? And be more mindful of them. Um, I think we need to empower the young women to have a voice Um, to be really conscious of setting their boundaries, more communicative. And I know the argument on one side is, well, when you do that, you put yourself in harm's way. But the problem is when you don't do that, you still put yourself in harm's way. And in my experience more often, so it's the lesser of two evils is I think, you know, we can't go around and saying, well, everyone should guess everyone's mind and nobody should be able to communicate because it's dangerous. No, we need to find a way to communicate. That's how we work as people. And so the answer I think is, is understanding there's a right way to, you know, initiate conversation with somebody, not catcall them, not aggressively attack them, um, to show interest in a way that's not bordering on harassment, then to be mindful of when somebody's setting their boundaries and not ready and be really respectful of that. And then the other side to empower women to have a voice, to feel like they're they're protected by um the same, you know, the same ideas that everyone else is um, and that th- they can reject somebody or not feel wrong for it. Uh, because I-, I think if we don't find a new communication protocol for courtship and romance, like I said, I think there's going to be a lot less relationships, a lot less healthy relationships. And I think we're breeding a young society to fear each other. And that's really scary.
0: Wow. So I want to finish with um, two questions. One, you know, I I don't know why I didn't ask this earlier in our conversation. What is it that you find? I mean, across working with thousands of people having met your wife, um, what is it that ultimately leads to a meaningful and intimate connection between two people of the opposite sex?
1: Yeah, I think especially if in terms of meaningful, if it, if it stays right, if we're not talking about just a quick casual connection, um, I use this word a lot, but I think a deep level of respect for each other. Um, people don't understand how deep that goes, right? Like this idea that at the end of the day, you have to say, "I, I care about this person. I care about their independence, them finding value in their own life, them being happy. And I want to do my best to meet them there. Um, but then also do that for myself, like to, to both encourage the other person to make sure that I'm feeling respected, and then the other side of the, the coin of the relationship to stay the same. And so when, when you say at the end of the day, no matter how we're, we're fighting, no matter what kind of differences we have, no matter what kind of other interests, if at the end of the day we know that we both have each other's best interests at heart, that we care about each other, that we're willing to compromise, and that's the deeper core value – then you can get through almost anything. Um, you know, my wife is very different from me in a lot of ways. Um, we don't like the same things. I'm, I'm in the tech and, and, you know, VR and cryptocurrency and all these other things that she really couldn't care um, less about. Uh, and, but at the end of the day, she respects me and she loves my happiness and she loves um, me knowing about that. And she'll even spend some time to invest in it, to learn about it. And she knows at the end of the day, I'm going to be the same way for her. And so same thing as if, if we had a disagreement, you know, you're going to have emotions and heated and whatever. But when you get through that and realizing, okay, I still want the best for the other person uh, and, and for myself. I want a solution here rather than to feel like we need to slight each other. Um, if you maintain that deeper level of respect, then almost everything can be handled.
0: Mm, wow. So, um, I didn't want to get out of this conversation without you, uh, letting you tell people about the retreat that you have coming up in Barcelona. So let's touch on that for a bit and then I'll wrap things up with our final question.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm hosting another four day retreat in Barcelona, Spain, uh, in April 12th through 15th. And the idea is, um, it's a confidence retreat. Okay. And it's, it's about, you know, on one end, it's the confidence to meet people and express yourself and communicate and create those healthy connections. And specifically, it's a a men's retreat. So with a lot of women, Um, but on a deeper level, it's starting to again, love yourself, understand who you are, understand your values, your boundaries, all these things, Um, what's going to make you more fulfilled in life, so that it ties into that. Because if generally you're happier and fulfilled and and all the things I just said, it's a lot easier to, to talk to people to engage them and actually be present and to create a meaningful connection. So it's funny, because a lot of people come in saying, you know, I really need to improve my romantic skills. Um, but at the end of the day, almost every single time after at the end of the retreat, nobody says that was like the core value they got away. It's like, I'm self actualized, I, I want to do more in life, I, I want to, you know, I I didn't mean for this to happen, but every retreat, one or two people realize that they do want to quit their job and end up opening their own business or or moving to a new career. Um, So yeah, it's basically, you know, uh, a lot of ideas and communication skills and romance, but really about starting to love yourself and be able to express that to the world. Uh, And you do it with, you know, generally eight to 10 other guys. We have another coach with me. Her name's Christina. She's amazing. Um, she gives a lot of feedback and then, you know, actually a perspective that's much needed. And then, so you're doing this with other guys that are being vulnerable, going through the same things. And then we're, we're learning within our apartment. Uh, but then we're also going out daily to actually interact in the world and meet people consistently and get our support doing so. Mm. And so, yeah, I'm super pumped about it.
0: Very cool. All right. So one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Huh. Integrity. Um, if I'm learning the word, if I'm hearing you right on unmistakable, um, I think I hold integrity at the top of my list for, for qualities of people. I think at the end of the day, if I can trust somebody who is who they are, and, and they're secure in that in a lot of ways, or at least secure in allowing other people to be that way. Um, that's what really matters. You know, is if somebody has is, is good heart and, and eventually is willing to hold to good values and, and you know not hate on other people. Everything else is, doesn't matter, right? You could be different views, you could have different hobbies, opinions, whatever, but we could still find a way to to at least come to an understanding.
0: Awesome. Um, where can people learn more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, so you can learn more about me at my site, nicknotis.com. That's N I C K N O T A S scom And the retreat there is there on my menu. Just click the retreat button and you'll see the
0: Conquer Confidence page. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive?